Welcome to SpacePod. I'm Carrie Nugent. I'm a professor at Olin College, and I study asteroids. I have a pretty cool job, and one of my favorite parts is getting to meet all the interesting people who spend their days exploring space. Each week, I'll introduce you to one of these smart folks and ask them to tell us about their corner of the cosmos. Today's guest is Professor Raman Prinja. Professor Prinja is the Departmental Head of Physics and Astronomy at the University College London. He's also the author of a new book, Wonders of the Night Sky, which was just released in May. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Carrie. It's a delight to be here. I'm really, really pleased to be able to join you today. Yeah, I'm so I'm so excited to talk about the night sky. This is going to be great. We are recording on Thursday, June 8th, 2023, and I am drinking Sprechter Firebrewed Root Beer Ooh. made with honey, which I've not tried before. What are you What are you drinking? A uh, ginger and lime kombucha is what oh, I'm nice. trying. I've been, I've been told it's meant to be very good for me. So uh, <laughs> rather than drinking rather than drinking coffee all day long, which I've been told, no, I mustn't do that. Try something more interesting, but better for me. So uh, that's what I'm trying out. <laughs> Excellent. Well, cheers. Cheers. It's not bad, actually. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty interesting. It's got kind of a a strong licorice taste it's pretty good but it's like a it's a real bold flavor <laughs> this root beer is not messing around <laughs> so now that we are drinking our drinks let's talk about the night sky so i have a, a copy of your book here and i really like it and i'll be honest when i i got it in the mail the first thing i did was i flipped to the asteroid section and i read it very very carefully but it was excellent i really liked it thank you i'm glad i'm glad that worked out <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too what made you want to write this book in general i've been very keen to try to reach across to a sort of a younger generation of readers, the young readers, to try and sort of inspire them a little bit in, in generally in STEM subjects, in the science subjects a little bit. Astronomy, of course, we're very lucky that we have a subject that can appeal very widely. And this is a nice way, I think, of getting everyone to just get involved in science a little bit. And, and night sky is a free is a free experiment for us all, right? We don't really need any expensive equipment. You just need some guidance, a few tips, some enthusiasm and a lot of imagination, and you can really enjoy it. I thought to write a book that maybe the parents or the elder siblings could join in with them and they could, you know, have a lovely evening of observing the night sky, maybe to the next day at breakfast, talk about it. That's what I really wanted to do. And I think having those conversations will allow young readers to form opinions in science or just forming opinions that are informed, you know, it's a very important skill to, to put across. So I think there's a whole range of reasons, but primarily to go out and just enjoy this fantastic night sky. We're very lucky on Earth to have that. We sort of overassume things a little bit in the sense that just imagine if we were living on Venus. Every day it's totally cloudy. You will never see you you will never see the universe. You will never see the sky, right? And here we have a beautiful transparent atmosphere that we can look out at and view the cosmos and. Maybe, you know, I think we just take it for granted too much that we have that. Absolutely. So people often ask me, what telescope should they buy for their kid? And generally what they're really asking is, what can I do to share astronomy with my kid? What would you recommend to parents to introduce their kids to astronomy? What sort of, you know, specific things should they look at? I'd go gently here on this one. I would firstly arm yourselves with being able to show kids the constellations. I mean, to be able to point out constellations, real things like that. And there are some really good apps, actually, for your phone and your tablet that you can use in case to help you guide. And I use them all the time you know, so to help you guide across. And then get them interested in the constellations. I mean, it, it takes a bit of imagination. Our ancestors had wonderful imaginations to be able to visualize a lion or, or in, in the Leo or to or, or Orion the hunter. 
but these are very these are constellations that have not just mythology behind them and stories, but also within the constellation there are some fantastic objects in there. So you don't need anything. You need a, you need a good book. <laughs> you know, plug plug. But you need you need a good book. But if if you if you look at something like Orion, for example, it's a great northern hemisphere constellation. You can see it from bright cities. Even I, I would start with there because then you, in the Orion constellation you can point out huge supergiant stars that are hundreds of times bigger than the sun. You can point out that that bright blue star Betelgeuse or that reddish star Rigel will explode one day in a supernova explosion. So there's so much you can point out from the belt of Orion, the three belt stars are easy to pick out, that there is below that a giant region where stars are being born. And I think that's one great way to start the conversation, get them captured. So constellations is a great way to do this. Historically, in terms of mythologies, but also today, what is out there, what's really there to discover. Moving on from there, I, I think if you are looking for a piece of kit to then enjoy things a bit more, I, I would first start with a good pair of binoculars. Nothing too large because you'd need a, you'd need a good tripod for that. But if, if you have a reasonable pair of binoculars that can be handheld by youngsters, then, for example, the moon is a wonderful target for that. I think you have to get quickly get over the idea that no matter what telescope you have, pointing at a star is no good. It's still going to be a speck, right? But a good pair of binoculars. For example, if you look at the crescent moon and you follow the day-night line of the crescent moon with a pair of binoculars, you can really pick out craters and the shadows that they cast. And, and building up from there, I think you can then take it further. But I would not jump straight into anything much more elaborate or expensive than a good pair of binoculars to get going, I think, for, particularly for young children. And then, of course, yes, there are, there are many telescopes you can invest in eventually, but I think that's a good start. Yeah, I, I absolutely could not agree with you more. I think that a lot of times parents think that they need to buy a telescope, but that's no. not the case at all, that you just want to start with conversations. I totally agree. Binoculars are a great investment. Binoculars are so easy to use. I think they're a great introduction. In Wonders of the Night Sky, it was interesting just to say, well, let's pick up one or two of the spots on the moon where the uh, Apollo astronauts landed. Yeah. We can't pinpoint it, obviously, but with a pair of binoculars, you can make it a bit more interesting to say, well, can you see that little darkish patch or not? The broad region, if you like, where one of the um, Apollo landers might have been. But just to spark that imagination, because let's face it, it looks like we're heading back there soon. Yeah. There are several listeners who are long-haul truck drivers, both in the northern and the southern hemisphere. Do you have any particular tips for them of things you could see while on a long-haul truck drive? I think the enviable position you can be on a long-haul truck drive, I think, is you can be in a genuinely dark site. There's a potential to be well away. I'm sure most truck journeys are not just in brightly lit, you call them freeways, we call them motorways here. But if you're in a long-haul truck drive, I suspect you'd have great opportunities to be in truly dark night skies. And the first thing you've got to do is get out of that cab and stand outside, park safely, get out of that cab and look up because you'll be stunned. If you go to a truly dark night sky, particularly if it's moonless, you'll, you'll see about 3,000 stars at least, although there are 200 billion in the galaxy, you'll still see about 3,000 stars. And it's stunning. It is a true wonder of nature to see a sparkling night sky like that. Moving on from there, particularly Southern Hemisphere, you get a great view of the Milky Way band. And this is really interesting. So you can really see the Milky Way across, stretch across the sky if you're in the, in those dark sites. 
still need a 20 odd minutes for your eyes to get adapted to the dark incidentally because we're not very good at eyes are a little bit need a bit of time for that but once your eyes are adapted it takes about 20 minutes so don't worry if you can't see it straight away <laughs> you know you know you'll see this beautiful milky way band stretching across the sky and once you've seen it and it's stunning actually then you have to ask well what is it right what is this thing and it's actually the edge-on view of our own galaxy. We have a lousy view of our galaxy. We're inside this flattened shape. It's like two fried eggs back to back. So imagine, right? That's we take two fried eggs back to back. We're actually in there in those eggs, and we have an edge-on <laughs> view. And what we're seeing is that edge-on view of our galaxy, and it's profound. And for those who are in the southern hemisphere, particularly in a really dark, those really lucky truck drivers out there. You can, with your eyes, if you've got good enough vision, you can actually see the Andromeda galaxy with your eyes. My eyes are not good enough. But, and I live in London, which is terrible for that. But nevertheless, you can pick out another galaxy with your eyes, which is incredible to think that that could be possible. I mean, it's, it's hugely impressive that you don't need anything and how powerful it is that you have these galaxies which could be millions of light years away and that light is traveling to your eyes so you live in a metropolis in london and i think there's a common misconception that if you're in a city you shouldn't even bother to look up do you have any tips for people who live in really bright places no no you should look up you should look up definitely you should look up <laughs> as long as you're walking safely though be careful i i, I think even even in a city like london you can find reasonable patches of the city where, you know, it's not, obviously, you, you know, you need to be a little bit away from the brightest light. But going back to where we started, constellations like Orion, for example, are still visible in big cities like London and everywhere else. So there are constellations that are still visible. Some of the planets are still visible. I mean, you know, right now, Venus is, is very prominent in the evenings. And then I come back to the fact that, you know, I think we we underestimate the moon. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's easy to find. You just got to think about it. Think about what you're looking at. This huge the lump of rock crashed into the earth five billion years ago or whatever and lifted off the upper layers of our planet, went off into space and then came together to form the moon from that. I think we underestimate how beautiful the moon is and it's in, in these different phases. There was a previous guest who was talking about the rights of the moon, and she said that, you know, the interesting thing about the moon is that it's stayed relatively the same over all of human history. So you can think about all of your ancestors have always been able to see that same moon. And I've yeah. been thinking about that all the time. Every no, time the moon true. comes out here, it's pretty incredible. It's a really profound thing. No, no, it's, it's absolutely true, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's, that our ancestors would have been looking at the same skies pretty much by and large. It won't be true about a hundred thousand years from now, when because the star positions are going to change and the constellation shapes will have changed quite a lot in that on that time scale. But right now, you know, it's pretty much in recent history the same sky. Yeah, the night sky is amazing and interesting, and it captures a lot of people's imagination. And then some people they'll go to college and they'll take an astronomy class, and then they're very unpleasantly surprised to learn that a lot of the day-to-day -day astronomical work is like unit conversions and math. And yes. it's to, to some people it kind of seems like a bait and switch. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, I I, I get it. I I think 
there comes a point, I think, when you might want to learn a little bit more about how the universe is working. I think that's what it's about. What is the birth, life, and death of stars? You're saying this star in this Orion might explode one day into what? It's a supernova. So, so you might idea hopefully would be that you want to learn more about that. You want to actually understand this cycle of stellar evolution, as we call it, birth, life, and death of stars. And so similarly, in terms of the universe itself, you're being told it's expanding and getting bigger. There comes a time when you think, I want to know more about this, right? So I think you have to think of it in that way. You're now looking to understand or you a bit more about the workings of the universe. And from there, perhaps even be able to predict some of the future events of the universe. So I think that's the that's the trick, but it does come with math, but there's a joy in that. Once you get through that, you understand the workings of the universe better. I think it's difficult generally a little bit with night sky. The reason I feel you need to fire up your imaginations when you're out there is because we all know you can just Google Hubble Space Telescope images and see this amazing, you know. So there's a challenge there because kids might see some amazing pictures and you do see some stunning images obviously from spacecrafts that have visited Saturn for example and you see this incredible ring system on your screens and storms going around and all the rest of it and then you finally one day get your eye behind a five inch telescope and you see this little fuzzy disc shaped thing there's a challenge there obviously for children because they'll they quite often would say well is that it you know <laughs> but I think this is why this is where you have to put things into into the perspective. And this is light coming to your eyes. This is what, you know, Galileo and people were first observing. And, and I think there's a way of sparking that curiosity because there's just so much beautiful content just downloadable at the moment, which does not relate to your experience unless you tell these stories, unless you talk about these constellations and you tell the stories about Apollo astronauts pointing them out in real time out there. I think that's a, a really interesting point. I mean, personally, what you said about the wonder is so important because I like math and, and I'm fine with the math and astronomy, but I still hate the unit conversions. <laughs> yeah. But I'm willing to put up with the unit conversions to really learn something interesting about the There's something interesting. So. I think that's what it is. You just tolerate that. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a greater goal at the end of that unit conversion. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not throwing any shade if people like unit conversions out there. More power to you, but just not my bag. <laughs> What do you think was the most like exciting part of the book to write? I have these no why boxes in there trying to explain a little bit more about why is that an opportunity to just go in a bit deeper to say, well, okay, there are stars of different colors, but just to go a bit deeper as to, well, why a chance to explain the science every now and then through, as I said, you know, you, you could point out that you can see the Milky Way band. But this chance is exciting to try to say, well, can I explain now in quite in, in, a, in, in an accessible way? What is it? You know, I think that was quite exciting to be able to do. The one thing I like about the book is that it's you can really tell that it's written by a scientist because you're both accurate. And there's also this extra information there. And, you know, no, you know, I've seen a lot of children's books about astronomy and I like them. <laughs> more than others. And I think that there's a lot of good writers out there, but you can really tell that you've got kind of a layer of expertise that you're condensing down to just a few words, but it really, it really adds a lot of content here that I think is nice. Yeah. I really wanted to get that in there just to explain why something, you know, if Rory or whatever, just give that bit of information. Bit of yeah. Often, and it's know. challenging to do in, in just a few words, right? Yeah. <laughs> there's reasons yeah, yeah, people yeah, write no, that's right. 
hundreds no. or thousands of papers no. on these things. Yeah. The, the publishers are always telling me, you know, just a few words. <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a big misconception when it comes to astronomy that you're always feeling like you're counteracting? There's a slight misconception that it's it's entirely a visual science, that it, the mm. whole thing is just about pictures, if you like, you know, and, and they're fantastic images. I and mean, there's no doubt that we have a lot to look at and they are spectacular and they can transcend across from science to art at times. They are so beautiful. But I think there's a slight misconception that that is the science. The reality of it is that if you go to a professional astrophysical observatory, you can't look through the telescope. There isn't an aperture to look. You can't say, can I look through your telescope to a professional observatory? Because it's at the back end of these telescopes, there's a huge amount of sophisticated instrumentation behind them to decode the starlight effectively, to decode the, to decode the light. And the reality is that the, the true sort of Rosetta Stone of astrophysics is there. It's, 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 modern observatories are really sophisticated laboratories with these complex instruments behind them to to split the light into spectra and all and to decode the light to then understand things like the speeds the temperatures the densities so i think that's still lost a little bit at some level out there the, the idea is that you know astronomy is a sort of a oh it's a lovely little it's a lovely thing you see pictures but the true science i think is behind this very sophisticated instrumentation and analysis and computation that takes place behind that to, do that, to, to literally decode the light, the physics. That's such an interesting point, because I do think that people think that maybe you or I spend all day just looking at pretty pictures. But when I'm looking at pictures, too, like they're black and white and it's like 10 <laughs> pixels. That's I'm right. really interested in those 10 <laughs> pixels. That's right. That's right. There's nothing, nothing really glamorous looking. No, no, that's right. And I think that's not that's not how it's seen. You know, it's right. Yeah. So in addition to writing kind of books for everybody, you're the author of over 150 science papers. Can you tell us just a little bit about your research interests? Yes. Yeah, so my, my research in astrophysics is on what we call, are called massive stars. So these are the stars that are born perhaps 15, 20 to 100 times more massive than the sun. So these are the massive stars that they, they evolve very fast and Essentially, they're burning their candle at both ends. They're really going for it. They, they evolve very fast. These are the stars that will detonate as supernovae. And the tombstones left behind after that evolution are some of the most exotic objects we know about, which is are called neutron stars or black holes. So I'm studying these massive stars before they detonate. I'm starting to understand what drives their evolution, what drives what's going to happen to them, what are the key drivers of that. So that's what we study. We use essentially a combination. We use observational data sets from everywhere that we can get them, Hubble Space Telescopes. But again, this is not imaging. This is exactly the point I was making. This is spectroscopy from Hubble Space Telescope or ground-based observatories, radio astronomy, using radio astronomy. There's a beautiful ALMA observatory in the Atacama Desert in Chile. So we gather the data from everywhere that we, that we can possibly get. And then we, we study that and try to understand essentially the, the lives of of massive stars. These are the stars that also are the ones that by fusion reactions make the heavy elements, including the life-giving elements, incidentally, the sort of the phosphorus inside you and the silicon inside you is come from these stars. So it's important to understand, I think, generally for the chemical 
property of a galaxy, what these massive stars are doing. So that's what we're studying here. That's what the research is primarily about. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Can you talk a little bit about where we can get your book and how listeners can learn more about you and follow you online? Well, I think the easiest way to get hold of the books is probably through Amazon, isn't it? I am on Twitter as at Prof Raman Prinja. Uh, very latest book coming out, incidentally, this um, summer is a recipe book. How cool is that? But it's actually a recipe for the solar system. Ah. So what I'm, do what I'm doing, is I've done the whole book as a, in the style of a recipe. So I bring the ingredients together, and the ingredients are, of course, all the elements and all of that. And then, and then we cook up slowly the moons and the planets and the rings. And oh, we make the solar nice. And we have your asteroids and your comets in there. <laughs> We've got the asteroids and meteoroids in there as well. So it's done in the style of a recipe book. And before that, we also have a book called Future of the Universe, but that's another one. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited. <laughs> I want to learn how to cook up asteroids. This sounds great. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, done, it's all like, a, just, I thought I'd do it all in the recipe style. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when you burn them? I always burn my food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's in the book. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Professor Prinja, for being on the show. And now that we've heard all about Wonders of the Night Sky, which is also the name of your book, we get Thank to hear you. a fun fact about ramen. I don't know if it's a fun fact, but I'm really keen into building Lego models. <laughs> so in my office here, I have uh, the Saturn V Lego rocket built. out of thousands of Lego pieces. I have the space telescope and the shuttle. And at home, because it's not related to my, I have lovely Lego models of Ferrari cars and Formula One racing cars. So I'm... <laughs> Very much into these, the, the, the inner child in me is very much into building these wonderful Lego models. And it's very therapeutic, actually. I find it's it's like a 3D puzzle, you know, you just lose yourself in Lego for a bit. And before you know it, you've put 4,000 pieces together <laughs> and, and it looks really cool. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show and thanks for sharing. Thank you very much for having me on, Carrie. Really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Intro music is from The Return by Deltron3030. Huge thanks to Deltron3030 for letting me use it. The beeps you just heard are from the very first space probe, Sputnik. You can visit us at listentospacepod.com, and we're at listentospacepod on Twitter. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of my employer or the employer of my guest. Thanks for listening.